Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 152 on creativity, depression, and cobbler's gulch with my dear friend, Norman Leonard. Norman, or as I call him, Norm, and sometimes the Lord of Darkness, he is exceptionally creative such a talented writer and human, and I, I'm just so proud of him for, one, being on my podcast, opening up a little bit, and also, most importantly, maybe not most importantly, but very importantly, creating this brand new podcast called Cobbler's Gulch. It is for the whole family. It is a fantasy. It has witches. It has goats. It's about orphans. It's so much fun, you guys. I did some voices in it, which was a lot of fun. I did a couple of pirate voices and maybe a baker at some point. Uh, Norm uh, just outdid himself on it. There's the sound quality, the the music, the sound effects, all of the voices. Charlie and Sam, his kids, Norm's kids, are also in it. Uh, Norm also had some amazing, talented people, just a whole cast of people lending their voices to Cobbler's Gulch. It is truly wonderful. And as of this recording, I think episode two comes out today. And uh, I highly recommend you subscribe, you rate and review. It's so wonderful. If you have kids, if you don't have kids, uh, if you like kids, even if you don't like kids, uh, you're going to love Cobbler's Gulch. It's so rich. It's just a beautiful fiction story that I think you're going to just eat up. Each episode's about 10 minutes. Um, it's a great thing to listen to on the way to school or just listen to as a family on a Friday night or something. It's wonderful. And so in this episode today, we talk a lot about how Cobbler's Gulch came to be because it didn't start off as a podcast, actually. And uh, we talk about creativity. We, we talk about depression and how creativity and depression intermingle. We talk about our collective love of dark humor and its capacity for subversion. We talk about Norm's uh, early literary references. And uh, yeah, like I said, just we get deep into Cobbler's Gulch and a whole whole host of other things. Um, before we get to the episode, I did want to remind you, uh, maybe not remind you, maybe I'm telling you for the first time, we have a Patreon Yumi Empathy, me, Known Wells, and the Feely Human Collective as this triumphant of feelings. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash feelyhuman. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash feelyhuman. And if you're not familiar with what Patreon is, it's a way to support me uh, and the work I do uh, on an ongoing basis. And in return, you get some rewards. Like, for instance... The $5 a month tier gets an extra bonus episode of Yumi Empathy uh, per month and a shout out on the show. And I'm going to do shout outs in a second for my brand new Patreon people. Uh, and there's another tier where you get monthly Zoom hangs with me and uh, other folks from the Feely Verse, uh, Feely Human Verse. And the first Zoom I think we're going to do uh, probably. In early December, we're going to talk about advocacy in a time of, you know, divisiveness and and what feels like a very divided uh, United States, at least. Um, And then uh, other tiers come with uh, 
some uh, merch and other fun stuff. So I please, if you have a few bucks uh, you want to throw around each month and support uh, someone doing someone he someone something he is truly passionate about, which is spreading more empathy and feelings uh, into the world, please consider supporting me on an ongoing basis on Patreon. And I'll make sure to include a link to that in the show notes. Again, it's patreon.com slash feelyhuman. And as always, uh, there's a free way to support the show, which is leaving a rating and review uh, in Apple Podcasts. It's free to do. It's easy. And uh, it does truly help out the show. So uh, let's... um, before we get to the show, this episode with my pal Norm about Cobbler's Gulch, I wanted to thank uh, my very first patrons over on patreon.com slash feelyhuman. Uh, they are, I wanted to thank Jen, Suzanne, Jess, Whitney, Megan, Becky, Claudia, Michelle, and Sarah. As of this recording on Sunday, November 15th, those are... The nine patrons. I am so grateful. Thank you, uh, you wonderful feely humans. Your big hearts and your feely pants. Feely pants. That doesn't seem appropriate, but you know what I mean. I love you. You're the best. Thank you so much. And as always, if you ever feel like it's a burden or anything financially, don't support it. Stop supporting me. Uh, But I appreciate while you can. It's so appreciated. And again, listeners, you can support me too, patreon.com slash feelyhuman. Let's get to this. Uh, You know what? You know what's real fun about this is what's going to happen is I am going to play. Should I play it before? I'm going to play the trailer before the episode, actually. I'm going to play it before the episode, the trailer for Cobbler's Gulch. I'm going to play that before my chat with Norm. Even though I said at the end that I'm going to play it at the end, I'm going to play it before. So you're going to hear me talking now. Hello. Hi. It's known. And then you'll hear the Cobbler's Gulch trailer. And then you'll hear my chat with Norm about his creativity, depression, and the whole origin story uh, story of Cobbler's Gulch, which I highly recommend you listen to. Subscribe now. Tell all your friends. It's wonderful. Norm is supremely talented, and this show deserves to be, uh, I don't know, like on NPR or something. Not NPR, but like, you know, it's, give him all, the, all your money and support because it's wonderful. So um, I'm going to leave it at that. You enjoy our chat. Thank you for listening. I love you. And enjoy this trailer for Cobbler's Gulch. South of the Devil's Nest and west of the Crimson Forest, there's a seaside village on the coast of the Mellifluous Sea. It's called Cobbler's Gulch. Population? Well, Nobody's ever counted. But if you looked around, you'd certainly see pirates. And sea serpent wranglers. Belay those tentacles, you weevil-eating blackguards! You'd also see blacksmiths. Woodworkers. Bakers. Mm, you'd see a variety of cutthroats and monster slayers. In fact, one with a wooden leg named Wolf Monfort. Wooden Wolf Monfort who may or may not be coming out of retirement. From time to time, you would see enchanted circus performers, a two-headed sword swallower, a juggler who specializes in live chickens, and occasionally dead chickens, but that's only when the show takes a bad turn, a pipe smoker who blows smoke not into rings, but into pastoral landscapes that fade into nothingness. Nothing? Lasts forever. And depending on the season, let's say it's goblin season, you might see goblin footprints. You'd probably hear their nasty little argle-bargle voices. And as it drifts in from the goblin gully of exclusivity and privilege, you'd definitely get a whiff of that putrid goblin stench. And you would absolutely see goats. Lots of goats. More than usual. But you wouldn't see a fairy, even though you should. A fairy's usually around, and you know that. 
because they make the lilt blossoms bloom. Pluck the blossom from its bed and blow the Nobody's seed. sure where the goats are coming from or where the fairy went, but there are a handful of orphans from the Cobbler's Gulch Orphanage, and they're looking into it. More specifically, there's Hazel. Hazel Peachwood. The only girl, still heartbroken from the day her parents vanished. There's a shapeshifter named Zip. I've been most everything, or just about everything. Everything from a porcupine to a walrus. There are twin jumbo dwarves named Lump. Flying, flop doodles, and Squish. Holy higgledy-piggledy. Both terrified the world's going to cave in on them. There's Oz, a Widdershin wayfarer who can't seem to find his way. I'm good at finding the way when I'm not mixed down. Wait. Down? Down? No, I meant up. When I'm not mixed up. Ugh. There are two juvenile pirates called Copper and Gruff, each of them a little too superstitious for their own good. Our luck points true north. Uh, Well, um, true enough. And there's Elwood, an uncommonly handsome hunchback who moonlights as a fortune teller. Actually, my fortunes are more like misfortunes. By the time these orphans are done... We might have to adjust the Cobbler's Gulch population to include, well, probably shouldn't say just yet. (laughs) Cobbler's Gulch, an episodic adventurous brew of childlike wonder, goblin curmudgeonry, monsters that need slaying, and boundless friendship, forged in those moments when you realize you're a better you because of the person beside you. Subscribe now. And tell your friends... This is the kind of journey where you're going to want a friend. Trust me. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am overjoyed to be here in person, sort of, with writer, friend, lord of darkness, and creator of the new podcast, Cobbler's Gulch. It's Norm Leonard. Hello, Norm. Good morning. Four minutes oh. left in the morning. Yes. How, how are you? Uh, good. Well, I, better now that I got that intro, Lord of Darkness, that feels like I've, um, I don't know, up, been upgraded. <laughs> I felt you'd, you'd feel comfort uh, and warmth <laughs> in that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I'm so happy to have you here, friend. Uh, the listeners, maybe this will be fun to you. Uh, Norm and I are friends. We're also neighbors. And, uh, you know, we've been sort of hanging out during this pandemic together, which is uh, which has been nice uh, to not be alone all the time. Do your listeners know how far you hike, like like your, your level of endurance? Because you do this thing and it's like the Feely Human podcast. Uh-huh. And you know, it's a, it's sensitive, it's vulnerable, but I don't know that they like. Do they know like how um, like rawhide tough you are at the same time? <laughs> well, it's funny. I I don't know if they do know that specifically, and we can get into that. But I I think you're touching upon something that's interesting, which is this idea that those maybe are two opposing forces in some way, and I don't see them that way. Is that what you're getting at? Um, I don't think they're opposing. I just think that um, that a young man who runs a podcast called Feel Human, people might make certain assumptions and they might not know that you're able to hike like 21 miles, like <laughs> with almost no water and just be like humming the whole time. Like, <laughs> Well, I was Frodo in a, another life. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I love that I can do both those things. I, I don't know. It's funny because I don't know. You're probably right. I think people do make assumptions. I mean, we all make assumptions about each other, right? You know, sure. I look at you, Norm, and I'm like, this guy lifts weights. He definitely <laughs> likes sports. <laughs> you know, he, uh, 
Wait, when did I start lifting weights? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you're a big guy. You're strong. You know, you're, I don't know. (laughs) No, I only bring it up because like, uh, if I'm, whenever I'm writing, that's one of the things I try to do is like, okay, this is what you think you know about this person. And then Mm. um, Mm -hmm. what is really going on there? And so when I did that hike with you, like we did that hike for your your birthday, right? Yeah. And I'm in, for my age, I'm in reasonably good shape and I feel pretty comfortable. Like I've run a marathon and I almost died on that hike. Like (laughs) at the end of it, I remember you stopped to talk to those people and I was like, why are you talking? Like, <laughs> you see, I'm going to die here. Yeah. <clears throat> well, first of all, I'm. That was fun. I had a lot of fun doing that, and I'm glad. And well, it was, I, it was. But you know, you did it, and I don't think many people can do that. You know, it, whether like you're wasted by the end of it, or you know, whistling like I was. Like you know, that's just matter of degrees. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I just. <laughs> I just think that your people should know that there are many sides here, many sides to know. I appreciate that. And thank you. And I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that. Um, let's, before we get into it though, Norm, I, I'd like to do an emotional check-in. How, how are you feeling? It's uh, something very momentous happened just earlier today. So how are, how are you feeling? How are things? Uh, things are good for me. Um, you know, 2020 has been rough at the beginning of the year and the end of last year, I had a really rough go. Um, but, uh, I got it ended therapy, um, kind of got a handle on things. So I've been pretty good this year. I think it's been harder on people like, um, like you said, you, you made the joke that I'm like the Lord of darkness. And I think I generally operate under a more pessimistic, cynical, darker sort of state of being. Yeah. And so for me, COVID has been like, huh. I'm glad everyone has seen the world the way that I see it now. Um, not glad. That's not the right way. But I'm. Yeah. But uh, it feels a little bit like, oh, now you guys, you guys. It's like some solidarity like, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yeah. my wife, who's normally um, sunshiny, has had a rougher time, I think. Um, mm. But like today, I think there, there seems to be like a, a shift in the tone of the country, at least. Yeah. So it was nice. Yeah. Well, the listeners should know that like, what I referenced earlier, uh, it was announced that uh, Biden and Harris won the presidency. Uh, that's very exciting to me. Um, and feeling a shift, you know, obviously, tons of work still to be done. And as we were talking about before we got recording, you know, one day at a time, let's let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, let's do the work that we have directly in front of us. Um, the other yeah. thing. I think is interesting about what you said, Norm, is the the piece of it where you feel like comfortable in a pandemic. And maybe comfortable is not the right word, but like I, I relate, like I empathize with that because I think that, you know, you and I have both had some, you know, I mean, maybe where you're the Lord of Darkness, I'm like Junior Lord of Darkness, <laughs> Lil Lil Lord of Darkness. Where like I, you know, we we have some trauma in our past, and you know, when you deal with trauma and dark things, like sometimes things like this, you know, are easier. Well, you know, and this is probably part of like where I'm. Um I need to maybe do some work on the way that I think about things, you know, some of that cognitive behavioral therapy stuff, but yeah. it's like a pandemic comes. And my, my first thought is like, see, I told you, <laughs> this is what the world is like. Um, so like, it, it almost seems like a, like validating some of those mm. darker tendencies I have, which is probably not a good thing. But, um, but I think mm. one of the things I do is I'll lean on, like, I would say something like that and as a sort of to be funny, you know, like uh, when the pandemic started, it was, you know, you saw those memes about introverts saying like, I've been training yeah. my life for this and like using humor to kind of get into that to, to, I guess, to make sense of how things can get so dark so quickly. Like, I don't, mm. I don't think a lot of people like, like, again, like my wife, I'm, she's just such a contrast to me. So um, for when, when things got dark, it was like, it, it did feel like a little bit of a validation like, cause mm. I think sometimes she struggles to see where I'm coming from. And it's like, mm. see, this is what, what it can be like when you slip, when you, when your brain and your heart kind of slips into a direction that you wish it wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I, you know, it's funny because I, as I was listening to you say that, I, what the thought that came to mind is we need both mindsets. We need both of those things. Like we need Becky's and we need Norm's in that way. Right. Which I think is why we got married. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, for sure. And I, I, you know, like for me, it's not like maybe I'm, I don't know, less pessimistic than you are or whatever, but I definitely have darkness. Like, and I, and I feel like comedy can be, you know, this, like, I love dark comedy, right? Like I, I, I think it can be this, I don't know, this, it can be levity. It can be, uh, calling out, um, truths that like people are uncomfortable looking at. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing with like horror, which I think horror and dark comedy for me are like, you know, kissing cousins. Um, but it's like when you, when you have a point of view that like leans that direction, dark comedy, the horrific, um, I think it, it brings a nice like balance and it sort of, um, it's in a very dark way. It is like a purge, you know, like mm. you say something totally dark and um, it sort of subverts maybe what's going on at that time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of time that's what I'm trying to do. I fail about that. I fail at that a lot, by the way. So I say something inappropriate in a, in a response to kind of relieve tension that I'm feeling. So I think a lot take, of it. Taking the piss out of it is what the Brits say. Yeah. 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 Which I think is, I don't know. I get I get zinged for doing it too much, but I'm not, I don't think collectively that we do it enough. Interesting. Yeah, I, I I feel that. Do you think that's how you always were? That sort of mindset. Um. No. Uh. I can remember. I can remember. I can remember always laughing at things that you're not supposed to laugh at, like having gallows humor, because I think my family sure. does. But um, in a more direct way. So when I was a kid and our family, you know, my parents were divorced and things got, they were ugly. So using humor and and using that as a way to cut through what would almost certainly be like a a really tense or awful situation. Mm. Like I'm sure a lot of people who have divorced parents, like when your mom or your dad comes to pick you up from your recently divorced mom or dad, it ain't exactly fun. And so I remember very consciously coming up with things that I would say to make my parents laugh so that they wouldn't yell. So they wouldn't fight. So they wouldn't, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm, it does mm -hmm. seem to go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear that's a commonality, like among maybe a lot of like comedians, for example, like, you know, early like weirdness or uncomfortable, uncomfortableness in the house, uh, you know, lack of joy or whatever. And they're like, I need to cut through this tension, you know, with like me being a silly pants or whatever. Yeah. The the only issue with that is if you do it like probably like the way I've done it too much, then it becomes like this thing that is more like a, it's more like a crutch than something that's empowering. It can become Mm. more, um, it can keep you at an arm's distance from things that maybe you shouldn't be an arm's distance from. Mm. Like what? Um, uh, like uh, I have a very difficult time like connecting with people. And so like, if I meet somebody at a party and they're like, you know, they say anything that I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Like I'll immediately say something that just repulses them. Yeah. Just <laughs> keep them at arm's length. So I'll, I'll, I would, um, I would cut off an opportunity for connecting with somebody um, just to make sure I feel safe. Hmm things like that. Right. So going, going back, like if, if my parents are going to fight and I can make one of them laugh, well, the reality is maybe they should have that fight. Maybe I should, you know, I should uh, feel that pain and that fear too, but instead I don't want that. So I'm going to make everybody laugh so I can, you know, something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an avoidance uh, in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, It's like a, you know, it's survival tactic. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when Jessica and I met, <laughs> I I was very much I had lived a life where I basically shut my heart off to the world, you know, and I because for fear, for survival, like that's how I survive, right? And I remember getting into relationships that just like 
were never going to last because I like gave nothing of myself to anyone. And we would go, Jessica and I would go, when we met, we'd go to places and I would do the same. I would like intentionally say things that were deeply uncomfortable. And I, I, you know, I was like raised in that. So I was like, you know, fine. I could say it straight face and people were like, is he serious? You know, it was like, they'd ask that and Jessica would be like, Jessica in her way would be like, ah, you know, trying to like make everyone happy and excited, you know, and I, I would like in a twisted way kind of get off on it. I don't like that about myself, but I still have a part of that in me for sure. Yeah, for sure. And Becky would do the same thing. Like uh, there's been many times where Becky's been like, oh, he's, you know, he's creative. We'll have to excuse him now. <laughs> yeah. She'll make her justification. So I get that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm torn about it because in some cases, like it's helped me to like, it's helped me to survive. Like I don't use that word lightly. Like when I say yeah. survival tactic, like it's really, really helped me to not go even to darker places, right. but it's still probably not the strongest way to, you know, interact with other people. Certainly it's not. Yeah. I, I mean, and I don't think it needs to be this binary thing. Like you can hold on to it uh, and it could be a part of your identity and it's an important part, but you know, it doesn't need to be the leading thing. It doesn't need to be like, maybe it's just shifting how you use it. Right. Yeah. I've noticed like, um, and I'm, a, I love standup comedy. I love comedians and I listen to a lot of comedian podcasts and I, a lot, one of, one of the patterns I've, I've noticed when I hear a lot of comedians talk about their lives is that, um, they'll be self-deprecating and they'll be inappropriate. Um, but they'll do it in a way that's aggressive and sort of mean. And as they get older and as they kind of grow wiser it becomes something that yeah they'll still say those inappropriate things but it's with a more it's with an eye for it's more of an eye for connecting mm. um you know what i'm saying it like yeah. it becomes it becomes it softens a little bit um i don't think it's true for all of them but i but i have noticed that like yeah when those comedians that do that same kind of thing where they keep people at an arm's length like that that slowly starts to go away mm. do you do you think you know, you're in your forties now. Do you think you've softened? Um, yeah, a lot of that has to do with having kids. Like you don't have a choice. Um, sure. I guess you, you do have a choice, but it's like you, the choice is like, are you going to be a good parent or a, or a crappy parent? Right. Um, and if you want to be a good parent, I think you have to soften a little bit because otherwise mm. you're, grow, you're, you know, you're going to grow kids that have the same baggage that you have. Yeah. Um, and that's, what's weird too, is when you, when you notice your kids starting to do things you do, and it's like, uh, and you know, there's no way you can stop that. Like it's going to happen. It's just the, the extent to which it happens, I guess. Right. What are, what are some of the ways that you think you have kind of softened a little bit over time? Well, a lot of it I've noticed just in terms of the types of things that I, that I pursue, like for me, um, I'm a creative and like, if I'm not, if I'm not being creative, like I, I, I go to depression like quick, like really yeah. quick. So I always have to be doing something, even if it's something as insignificant as like a, a little woodworking project or whatever. But what I've noticed is like, you know, mostly what I do is write. And when I first started writing, everything I wrote was really dark and really aggressive and really, really kind mm. of um, R rated. Yeah. Um, which is, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just um, when you're in that space for a long time, it just, you do kind of get calloused. Kind of, mm. I noticed myself getting callous and having kids. It was like, I can't, I can't read my kids this story I wrote about, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, and I've started writing for them now and, and in pursuing things that make them laugh and things that make them cry and things that make them feel, I've really had to, broaden the way I think about um, storytelling, creativity, all that stuff. Cause if I want, if I want to kind of nudge them in the direction that I think is healthy for them, um, I've had to grow creatively. Yeah. In that way. Well, and, and I love that. And, and the stories, these stories are reflective of people, right? They're reflective of the life we're living. Right. So, you know, you're taking, the lessons you're you're sort of creating in these stories for your kids, I'd imagine you're taking them on yourself in your life, you know, at least trying to. Um, yeah. Well, trying to, I think is the key word there, but, but yeah. yeah. Um, 
for instance, like whenever um, I write anything for the kids, I do want them to get something out of it. Aside from just like a laugh or, a, um, you know, a laugh or like a jump scare or whatever I'm doing, like yeah. I do want them to be able to like look back on that and go, okay, this is what the crazy old man was trying to get, <laughs> get through to me. Um, I don't know if that'll happen now, but I think it'll happen later as they get older and they look back. Least, that's you know, that's exciting. <laughs> Do you, uh, this is a, maybe a sharp right turn, but what are the stories that you read as a kid? I've been thinking about this lately because I recently started rereading Where the Red Fern Grows, a favorite childhood story of mine. What were the things that you read? Um, I remember, and actually my son, Sam just read these two books during, during the pandemic. Um, like there were two books that I read them and you know, when you read a book and sometimes it just puts you in the ether where like, um, I mean, I mean the other, the other things you would equate it to would be like, um, the runner's high flow state sure. you know, where, where the world just kind of is like foggy in the best way. Mm. Um, for me, when I was a kid, like I read animal farm <laughs> and the description of the horse at one point, like it was just one page where it was just, um, I didn't know that could be done. Like the way that he described the horse, it was just, it was overwhelming. Mm. Uh, so that one, and then also of mice and men, mm, um, yeah. of mice and men was so the, the, the setting, like the way that he puts you in that place with those characters felt so very real. And when Sam read that, I don't know if I told you this or not, but he, you know, we, Becky and I went for a walk and he was reading of mice and man and he called us because he was crying because they just shot the dog who's uh, not through. And I was like, oh, if you don't like such, that part. Like, yeah. you're not <laughs> such sad stories. <laughs> they were sad. Yeah. They're, but they were very, um, I don't know. It, it's funny because like uh, of mice and men, it's such a like very small story, like the yeah. small scale of it. But it was so huge in terms of the way it impacts you emotionally and like what you, what you take away from it. Like it was just profound, especially at that young of an age. Right. Yeah. Um, so those two were huge, like right off the top of my head, but then also, you know, there were ones that were just like fun um, for the sake of fun. I think like a lot of the world doll stuff. Oh yeah. Um, also very dark. <laughs> also very dark. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that when I love how he would take uncomfortable stuff, like adults would get killed but it was always funny the way they died. So it felt yeah. cartoony, but at the same time, there were like stakes. Like I liked that it, that it wasn't like, I had a friend that I grew up with um, and his parents would make him le- read like fun with, was it fun with Dick and Jane or it was mm, like sure. horrible books where there was nothing like there was no one getting hurt. Yeah. And so I remember thinking like, this is bullshit. Like <laughs> this isn't how it works. And so the rolled doll stuff, even though it was like over the top, like there were stakes involved. And so yeah. it seemed, seemed very real. Yeah. 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 I, I want to go back to like what you said about how, when you're writing, like the writing kind of keeps you away from the darkness in a way. Like that creativity is like what fuels you. I'm, I'm curious, like, do you ever feel like, I don't know, there's an imbalance there? Meaning, you know, perhaps there, there's a spot to aspire to where you're just being and okay. I don't know. For me, like the way, the way it feels, particularly with creative stuff, like um, for all, I I feel like I'm more sensitive than a lot of people, even though like, like you said, you know, I'm a big guy and, you know, rough around the edges and some people might not think that, but like, I'm, I think I feel things pretty hard. Yeah. And if I'm not funneling those through this sort of creative filter, that stuff just builds and builds and builds. And then it just gets heavy Mm. Um, and it it, like incapacitates me. Yeah. Um, So, like the idea of just being is really difficult to even wrap my mind around. Mm. Cause like just being for me means like I'm absorbing all this stuff and there's no place for it to go. And then pretty soon I'm just like, um, like withered on the vine, you know? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I relate to that. I, I do. And I, I feel you wholly. I, I, I think I have a lot of that myself. 
I think a part of me, and and maybe this is you know this is just my own unique sort of take on it, is that I feel like for my own, I don't know, broadening and and just kind of enriching the rich tapestry of the human experience, I've had to find other paths as well, right? Like I, to, to, I mean, cause I, you know, like you, I have, I have, I have major depressive disorder. D- depression is fucking dark and hard at times for me and writing does help, but like I've had to do other things and I've had to like create moments where I, I need to take in the thing, take in all the stimuli and feel it and like just be me and those feelings and sit with them. Maybe that's just me, but that's that's the path I've had to like try to under, understand and, and look at. Yeah, I mean, I think I've definitely uh, tried to do that. Um, I mean, my therapist is like tells me that all the time, like you need to feel these feelings, and part of me is like, "Fuck you, you feel the feelings, it sucks." <laughs> um, yeah, I say that I say that affectionately. By the way, the therapist I've had has been really wonderful, um, but it's tough. Like, that's really tough. Yeah. Um, especially, like I said, if you, <laughs> if you're, you're the junior Lord of darkness, like, man, good luck with that. Like it's, it's really, really hard. Um, it's probably a healthy way. If you, if you get through it, you get the other side of it. But the one thing, I don't know, for me, like that I've come away with in terms of all the things I've done to like deal with having depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, all that stuff is like, it's just constant maintenance. So I don't know that there's ever like a finish line no. until, until you're just dead. And I, I hope that's a finish line, <laughs> but like, so just sitting with them um, and doing that, like, I think you can get through it and it's good, but then eventually that's going to come back. Right. So it's like, for me, it's all, it's always been about maintenance, whether that's like, you know, taking medicine, meditating. Um, yeah exercise is huge um you know what i mean but yeah. but maybe i'm missing maybe i'm missing what you're saying though too like when you say say is that what you mean like just like feeling it and like letting it pass i i think i mean that but i i think what you're saying is spot on we don't there is no fucking finish line right like this is um a thing we we work through and we it is we work on it every day and some days are harder than others and all of that so i i don't believe in some like box checked or finish line you know i guess i guess you know when i hear you say that you know it's just too much when i'm not sort of creating and writing like i i think that's a beautiful thing and and um you know, that path, that, you know, scenario has created immense works of art, right? You know, um, I just wonder if there, there's more opportunity for that just raw kind of, yeah, sitting with your feelings, being curious about them and, and, and trying to unpack them from like a, I'm developing my emotional intelligence perspective as opposed to you know, working through them in story. And I'm not like, I don't bring this up to like, you know, obviously like disparage you for that path. I think it's a beautiful one. I'm just, just wondering about, uh, you know, broadening the thing. Yeah. And I don't, and, and just, just to be clear, I think that's the thing that's my go-to just cause it's always been my go-to, but it's not, um, you know, like I'm lucky in that I have a really, I, I think a really great marriage. And so a lot of that stuff too is like, sitting with that with my wife, like hmm. um, getting somebody yeah. who can like help me contextualize it. And I think I've gotten pretty good at when I do start to, you know, when things do start to darken, um, being able to pretty quickly connect it to the trigger hmm. and sort of reverse engineer it. That's great. Um, yeah. I mean, not always, but a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah. But that's taken... <laughs> A lot of work, but from like a lot of people, not just me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Cause like you mentioned, you know, last year, end of last year was tough. And, and, you know, I saw some of that in you. And, um, in addition to like 
therapy, which you've started, like what are some of the other things that have helped you these, this past year other than just like feeding off the darkness and despair of others in a pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> which don't underestimate that. I think that's, um, that's a valuable. Oh, tool. as, as junior Lord of darkness, I do not, sir. <laughs> um, what else? I, uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's like, it's always, and, and this is the way I do with everything. And this is part of, probably part of my own um, inability to commit to things, but like, uh, I have like just a bunch of different tools and I don't know that I use them in any particular order or any kind of, um, there's no organization to it. It's like sure. some days, like I better meditate today or, um, I can feel myself boiling over, mm-hmm. um, or I better go for a run or I better, you know what I mean? There's just so yeah. many different ways that I'll do it. Um, and part of that is probably something I need to work on, come up with a more, um, appropriate routine or like a, like a, I don't know, like an order things yeah. I can go through, but it, there's just so many different things that I'll, that I'll just kind of pull out of the toolbox. That seems to be working. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, what I'm curious about, I mean, what I know about you is like, I know you started some medication, maybe you also uh, did the thing that I did, which is like, you had a genetics test and like, and I, I don't want to discount that piece because a lot of like, when it comes to mental health and figuring out the, the things that, you know, burden us, it's, it's work. And I think it's curiosity. And it's also like, you know, doing the work of like, getting the tests and, you know, doing all that stuff. And so like, you know, I wanted to take that time to like, say, hey, like, kudos to you for like doing that, taking that effort, you know, that's huge. And that was, uh, I mean, I guess things I've, I'm still on um, antidepressants. That was scary. Like, they're telling you to take antidepressants. And the way that at least the medical insurance I have is sort of um, set up, they're like, here, try this. And I'm like, well, why should I try this? And they're like, I don't know. Like, we'll just see if it works. And if it doesn't, we'll try something else, which sounds like a horrible way to give somebody treatment. Um, So we had that test done where they, they did like a mouth swab and they determined which antidepressants will work best given your DNA. And so um, the issue with that was then the, the medical insurance I have didn't have that particular brand of, or that particular whatever it's called yeah. that particular medication. So I had to go out of network, uh, but it does seem to be working or at the very least there's no, there's nothing bad. Like there's, I haven't noticed any, uh, any sort of kickback from the medication I'm taking, which is, which is good. So like that I've done EMDR, uh, which was interesting. How, how much of that did you do? I only did a few sessions. Yeah. The woman that I was working with, on that was a little bit, I don't know. It just, it's hard to, it's hard to get in, go where you need to go. If the person on the other end kind of managing it, isn't someone that you feel comfortable with. And she was absolutely. You know, yeah. She was a little bit, um, she was uptight. She didn't have much of a sense of humor. Yeah. So for me, that's kind of a deal. Didn't, she didn't see value in Lord of darkness. She did not No. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> She she was a former military, and I I have a lot of friends who are military, and, and I love them. She was really military, like yeah. even outside, even like beyond her military, she was she was rigid. Mm. Um, and so it was difficult to kind of connect with her. But I did try that. Um, let me see what else have I done? Uh, did uh, microdosing mushrooms? Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of those things where it was like I don't know if it worked or didn't work or if it worked or didn't work, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, there was not really any kickback from that. What's funny about that is um, we went on a family vacation and I love my mother-in-law, but she likes me to take pictures, which is my least favorite thing. Like I would say my least favorite thing is probably getting depression and then like a close, very close second when I take <laughs> pictures. And so I knew I'd be taking lots of pictures. So I started microdosing mushrooms on our family vacation. Um, As you do. Yeah. And it worked out. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I I like that you brought that up because it's something that I I want to do too, and like you know take it seriously. Like I did a bit of it, uh, but I don't know if we either of us did enough to like see a sustained 
you know, effect or impact. But like, you know, speaking of, we talked at the top, like about the election, you know, one of the bills that passed in Oregon, psilocybin therapy legal, which is amazing. People are freaking out about that or not, not all people, but a lot of people that they've decriminalized all those drugs. But I think, I think I heard a study and I should double check me on this, but I think Portugal did something like that. Like it was a very extreme approach to addiction Mm. where they just legalized all drugs and you could go in and get your heroin, your cocaine, whatever you wanted. You'd go to this hospital and it would be administered, like given to you from a doctor. And um, addiction went way down. Like everybody, it, like it, it solved the, a lot of the drug problems. I didn't think it solved it entirely, but it solved a lot of the drug problems. Interesting. And I think one of the politicians that helped to green light it asked the doctors, like, how, like, why is this working? And I guess she looked at him like he was an idiot, like, because people get better if you mm. stop shaming them. Um, yeah. Which I don't, again, you should double check me on that story. I, I, I'm telling that third, like from a sure, party, but um, that makes sense to me. It does. I, th- I think shame is the worst. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of shame in stigma, right? And there's stigma around drug drugs. There's stigma around mental illness, like, you know, and, and shame is, is a breeding ground in that. <laughs> I want to qualify that. Unnecessary shame is the worst. I think there's definitely times when we should shame people. <laughs> okay. Give me one time we should shame people. What's an appropriate shaming scenario? An appropriate shaming scenario. Um, if you have a if you have a Twitter account and you say something that is uh, that is just obviously racist, hmm. you can be shamed for sure. If you punch an old lady or an old man or really anybody, <laughs> you, you should, should be probably, shamed. You should be shamed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So like, all right. I don't think shame across the board is bad. I think it can be a good tool for growth used appropriately <laughs> sure but i know yeah. what you're saying i know i guess yeah yeah no it, it depends on how you do it how you use it like <laughs> i don't yeah. think children should be shamed very often right right um, yeah. i think that like i feel very strongly about that like that i think that leaves a kid raw like it's like it skins them alive mm. gosh yeah you're bringing up a lot of a lot of memories uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so you're a writer, a very talented one. The listeners should know that Norm has written, I mean, to name a few of the things you've written. You've, you've written some movies, you've um, written stories, you teach writing. Oh, uh, yeah. I've written a lot of short films. I've had like, uh, I don't know, something like 18, 19 short films that have played all over the world in short film festivals. I've worked on some documentary feature films, writing narration. Um, one of them narrated by J.K. Simmons, one by Meryl Streep, which was kind of cool. Which one was uh, that? The Meryl Streep one. Uh, it was a documentary about the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Gotcha. It was about sort of the work they did in the early '80s to to get people like people were dying in the hallways of the USC hospital, mm. and politicians weren't doing anything about it. And so this group came together. They started this. Um, it wasn't called AIDS Healthcare Foundation at the time. I forget what it was called off the top of my head, but it became the AIDS healthcare foundation and they made huge strides into getting people um, treated. Hmm. Um, so I worked on that. Uh, I wrote a children's book that I published with my wife um, about a firefly whose butt won't light up. Barnaby the firefly. Barnaby the firefly. Yeah. So um, good. Which is coincidentally about our marriage, right? So a firefly who's, who's dark and one who's light. Aww. Right. It's a very sweet book. Is that yeah. still available? Do you guys still have some of those? We have them. Uh, you can't really get it unless you know me. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can email me if you want to copy us anyone. Um, so I've done a lot of screenplays that have you know gotten pretty far in Hollywood and then aren't collecting dust on shelves now. But uh, mm. yeah, more recently I'm doing the uh, uh, Cobbler's Gulch, just podcast for my kids. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Cobbler's Gulch and like its journey because it didn't. You know, it's obviously didn't start as a podcast yeah it started with the wizard of oz um i showed charlie my daughter the wizard of oz when she was two against the better judgment of my wife again lord of darkness here yeah and she was terrified by the wicked witch and like she wouldn't sleep she was crying and my wife said i had to fix it since i created the problem so i wrote her this little uh 
nursery, not nursery rhyme, but like a little rhyme, like a spell. Yeah. It went uh, pixie dust, a summer's day, a ragdoll with a crooked stitch. Listen closely when I say, be gone, you silly witch. And so I taught it to her and she would say it at night and then she would feel empowered and she would go to sleep. Oh, great. I don't think I knew that. That's beautiful. It's great. We had this neighbor who lived upstairs and um, she was all right. She was, she, she could be kind of cranky. And uh, when Charlie would see her, she would say that, like, she would just like (laughs) hurl off that little rhyme at this woman. And she'd be like, what is she saying? (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. It's amazing. (laughs) But um, she had fun with it. And then we started creating our own little mythology about witches. And then as my son got a little bit older um, and could talk, he started contributing. And so this mythology turned into a story with characters and it slowly just kind of grew into a really long book. Like it's 360 pages. Um, And yeah, the first person to read it was my wife and the second person to read it was my daughter. And um, I wanted to kind of keep control of it. Cause I've worked in, you know, working in Hollywood, things get taken out of the writer's hands pretty quickly. Yeah. Like the cliche, if you're a producer is the first thing you do is fire the writer. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, and, and then similarly in, in book publishing, you have to rely on a lot of other people to kind of get things going. And with the podcast thing, I was able to adapt it and just kind of keep control and keep it people involved that I wanted to be involved and keep out suits that I didn't want to be involved. So it's been really fun. Yeah. But, so yeah, tell the listeners a little bit about like just the general story. You know, mm-hmm. don't give away spoilers or anything, but like we obviously witches are involved. Like who else is involved? There's witches, there's goblins. Um those are like the the heavies, right? Yeah. And then what one of the things that I've always liked about a lot of um fairy tales is the fact that parents aren't around. Like there's lots of step parents or there's lots of dead parents and it puts it on the kid to kind of figure things out. And I like, I love that pattern. Yeah. Me so too. there's orphans. Like I have a, an orphanage, there's one girl and there's seven boys and they're all like deeply troubled and flawed and incomplete. And so they kind of pull together to, take down this witch, but in doing so they have to sort of resolve each other's flaws and kind of make each other whole again. Mm. Um, and then going back to like the, the, the mental health stuff we were talking about earlier, like a lot of the things that each of these individual kids have are like little, little flaws that I know that I've had and how mm. I, I think I've gotten a handle on them. And so in a way it's, it's sort of didactic for my kids, right? It's like when they read this, they'll just enjoy it because it's a fun, like adventurous romp. But then later on, maybe they'll think back and realize that I was trying to like nudge them in a certain direction. Yeah. I love that so much. It, it's such a beautiful story. And um, I was honored to, to lend a, a couple of voices in, in this. And so the listeners should know, like Cobbler's Gulch is a podcast and it's a story telling i mean not storytelling podcast but it's a fiction podcast about this story you have you know tons of voice talent you know music all of that yeah so the the one thing about it that um that i would want listeners to know is that i wrote a story that, that parents will want to listen to with their kids because i've listened to all kinds of podcasts that are for kids and they're awful yeah i, I don't i don't want to show anybody's podcast specifically but like they're just sort of they feel so um, like earlier I was mentioning Roald Dahl, like there's nothing really at stake. Right. It feels very, um, I don't know. Boring. It feels boring. Yeah. And so in this, in this story, like I'll give you an example. Uh, we have uh, a way, one of the orphans is a wayfarer and his family has abandoned him because he had a bad sense of direction. Right. So he got lost and they were so ashamed of the fact that he got lost when their whole thing is about wayfaring that they just they're like, screw this little kid. <laughs> and so he's so lost that it even infects the way he talks. So when he says up, he means down. When he says left, he means right. So he's mixed up in all of the ways. And so hearing this kid try to get a handle on something like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of, you know, comedy that comes from that. It's 
fun and playful and it's, and it and can get dark, right? Like there's serious repercussions for the kids. And I think that parents will enjoy that too. Like it's not, it's not like fun with Dick and Jane, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I don't, it, I, I love a story that parents can love and kids can love, like whether it's like a picture book or whatever, like it should be a, it should, it should be like a thing that the whole family gets something out of it. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the really cool thing, and this is where um, the positive side of the pandemic, like if you need one is that uh, there's all these voice actors that worked on it and they like gave their time to this like little tiny project. And I have like world-class amazing voice talent bringing the characters to life. So if you've heard audiobooks before where it's just somebody like reading the story, like this isn't that, like there's narration, there's music, there's sound effects, there's multiple characters. And it feels, it feels very much like a movie for your ears. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. I've listened to, um, I guess there were some of the rough cuts, but they were amazing still. And uh, I think we'll play the trailer at the end of our chat here uh, so people can get a taste and, and then hop on over to Cobbler's Gulch and subscribe. How many, how many episodes are you breaking it all down into? So there's 52 episodes. Just Dang. Like just like there's um, 52 cards in a deck, 52 episodes. And are you doing seasons or is it just like weekly? Well, ideally, assuming that this goes well, um, I heard a little fun fact when I was researching witches is that, um, you know, you have like a, um, you have a murder of crows, you have a flock of geese, mm-hmm, you have a, mm-hmm. um, you have a coven of witches. Um, but more specifically, um, witches come in covens of 13. Ah, okay. Right? So this first uh, season deals with the first witch of 13. So assuming this goes well, there'll be 13 more seasons, or I should say 12 more seasons after this one. Amazing. That's awesome. Well, uh, listeners, make sure to subscribe to Cobbler's Gulch. It's it's amazing. Uh, Norm is supremely talented. We'll play the trailer at the end of our chat here. Um, Norm, we always wrap up the show talking about our empathy heroes, people in our lives who are empathetic, sweet, feely, whatever. Um, I'm going to go first to give you a moment to think about your empathy hero. My empathy heroes this week, uh, Stacey Abrams, and Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris. <laughs> um, Stacey Abrams for the work, amazing work she did and and uh, bringing Georgia blue, uh, which is quite the feat. And then Joe and she Kamala hustled, for... She, I know, right? She really hustles, yeah. She's, she's amazing. She's amazing. And uh, Joe and Kamala for, for, for winning. And, you know, let's... let's uh, Let's do better. I'm very <laughs> proud of them. <laughs> I uh, I'm excited for the future, but as as our Lord of Darkness friend says here, we need to you know, <laughs> remember for today, tomorrow. Let's temper our excitement. <laughs> Take it one one day at a time. Simmer down. Simmer, simmer down. down. Simmer down. Yeah. How uh, about you? Well, I think my empathy hero is always my son Sam. Like he's a very very um, mm. sweet, sensitive kid, and. Uh, always he's always kind of feelings first when it comes to other people um so i think that would be my answer any day that you asked me yeah unless it was a day that he hadn't cleaned his room then (laughs) i i love sam sam has been my empathy hero on this show before actually uh and uh, so is charlie and so is your wife of course (laughs) all of you guys are very empathetic in my mind but <laughs> we all have our days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We all do. All humans. Uh so Norm, where can uh obviously you can listen to Cobbler's Gulch wherever you listen to podcasts, but is there like a home base for it? Yeah, cobblersgulch.com. C-O-B-L-E-R-S-G-U-L-C-H.com. Awesome. Well, listeners, that uh the link to the podcast and the link to the website, cobblersgulch.com will be in the show notes for this episode. And like I said, we'll play, you'll hear just shortly the trailer uh, at the end here. Norm, thanks for being a part of You Me Empathy. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's You Me Empathy. Empathy.